With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Three, two, one. What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Reports, College Football, and NFL Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Miller. Joined, because it's Friday, by my boy Mello. And Mello, I'm in Indy, where it's snowing. You're in Joplin, where it's icing. The universe is trying to keep us apart. Yeah, I I guess so. I'm just hoping that my flight can get out of Kansas City tomorrow. Uh, If not, I guess I'm walking to Indy. Yeah, I've driven it before, so you guys could just do that. Just load up and... And drive well. Last year we we tried to drive home from Indy. You remember going to that weird ass Dairy Queen in the like middle of nowhere? <laughs> yes. So maybe I don't want to walk tomorrow. Yeah. Well, that, that's why we were on our Dairy Queen kick. If they want to hook us up with a sponsorship, we could get back on that kick real fast. But we have a fun show tonight, dude. I'm in Indy as combine stuff is happening. Bench press happened Thursday. We got a lot of weigh in information to talk about. Um, rumors are starting to happen with trade talks as well, but. First up, we have to talk about one last time on this show, Saturday night, so one day from now, 2D Brewing Company, March 2nd, 5 o'clock Eastern Time. We're going to be out there for two hours just hanging out with you guys. We're not recording this show at 2D because so many of you signed up that we didn't think we could physically record the show and hang out with everybody. So it's going to be a good time. It's free to come out. You do have to be 21 years old, but Mello will be there. Connor will be there. I'll be there. And our kick-ass boss, Jesse, will be there. So get to meet the whole crew. It's going to be a good time. And if you want some stick-to-football merch, we'll be handing some out there. If you want hoodies and T-shirts, you can go to the Bleacher Report shop, put in promo code DRAFT, you get 20% off your hoodies and T-shirts. So pretty sweet fucking deal that we've got for you guys. If you if you want to rep the podcast a little bit when you're you know in the gym or laying on the couch or whatever it is that you do. I mean, probably not the gym. I wonder how many of our listeners work out. We're one uh, one for three on hosts, so I I don't know about <laughs> listeners. I don't know what our demo is on workout <laughs> freaks. Uh, let's get into the news of the week. One of the biggest things, and it, Kyler Murray's weigh-in is one of the biggest things, and we'll get to that. But one of the things that fascinates me, and I'm not going to let go of this. I'm like a dog with this in my teeth. The Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime, the general manager, they have to do the run-of-the-mill press conferences that everybody does. Neither of them would just come out and say, Josh Rosen's our guy. In fact, they came out and said Josh Rosen's our guy for now. Yeah, he's our quarterback right now. That's some just straight-up bullshit right there. Who does that? Who comes out and says to anyone, and and I understand they also said, you know, football is a business. It's a business. Josh Rosen understands that. He does understand that. But my goodness, guys, no vote of confidence here for Josh Rosen. Then it happens that he takes down all his Cardinals Photos from Instagram. He also said he was hacked. You know, we'll see if that's real. I don't know if the pictures are back up or not, but Uh, they weren't as of five minutes ago. (laughs) It's a weird situation to say the least. And I just have a hard time believing right now that they don't have some Kyler Murray interest. 
I would agree too. I mean, this Josh Rosen thing, he's not a veteran who's been there for forever. And it's like, is it time for him to move on? He was a rookie last year. He just got in the door and they're already using this terminology like, oh, he's our quarterback for now. He's actually got like four more years left there because you're going to use that fifth year option. So he's your quarterback for the foreseeable future. And you're already flirting with some other guys. It's not a good look. It doesn't scream loyalty if you're the Cardinals. No, it definitely doesn't. And as we've said before, I think you were the first one to say it on the show, Mello. If you're going to hire Cliff Kingsbury, who failed at Texas Tech, by all accounts, he failed. He got he got fired there. You have to let him get the quarterback that he wants. If he says, guys, I need Kyler Murray to run my offense, you have to give him Kyler Murray. Oh, yeah. You have to let him do his thing. You have to give him the reins. You know, like, uh, what's the old Bill Parcells quote? If you're going to ask me to cook the dinner, let me buy the groceries. Exactly. So, I mean, what are you going to do with him? I don't know. I'm sure they had plenty of talks about quarterbacks when he was interviewing. It kind of sounds like Kyler Murray was maybe the main subject of a lot of those conversations. Yeah, and I I know that we've said, and, and we will move on from this. No more feeding this fed horse after this. But one of the things that I heard back in early January was that there was interest from Cliff Kingsbury about Kyler Murray and that maybe that was one of the reasons that he took the Cardinals job over some of the other teams that were interested in him was because of that ability to go get Kyler Murray. So it's uh, it's definitely interesting to see what's going to happen there and how it plays out over the next two months. The Kansas City Chiefs are, I think, one of the most fascinating teams in the NFL right now. They have an MVP at quarterback of Patrick Mahomes. They have a great head coach in Andy Reid. But they're undergoing a, a kind of a reload on defense. They've got Steve Spagnuolo coming in. They're expected to run a 4-3. D Ford's a free agent. I don't know what they're going to do there. But there's been talk now about trades. Justin Houston, a, a mainstay on that defense, but someone who might not fit into this new defense that they're running and someone who, at what as productive as he hasn't been uh, at times and the injuries that he's had, he's a little overpaid for what you would expect from someone uh, he's, he's 30 years old, so he still has plenty of career left. But there's been talks that he could be on the trade block and some team could get a, a starter level player, a very good starter when healthy for a draft pick. And this is just Brett Veach again, the general manager of the Chiefs, like not being afraid to make a move. Yeah, and I think he definitely will. And you talked about Justin Houston. He's getting a little old. He's getting a little expensive. And he's also missed some games here in the last couple of years. Uh, so he could be a marquee, like three, four outside linebackers still. But the Chiefs are kind of transitioning. So I think they're going to at least kick the tires, see what kind of return you can get. Because you talk about Justin, or sorry, not Justin Houston, D Ford. They are probably going to tag D Ford and not just let him walk out the door this year. They play the same position. You don't need two of those guys at that kind of money on your defense. So you got to get rid of one of them. I think it's going to be Justin Houston. And and Justin was so good early in his career and justifiably got paid as such. He had 22 sacks in 2014. That was also the last year he played in all 16 games. So Mm -hmm. I think that's the key right now. It's like, God, when this guy's on the field, he is so impressive and he's, he's a fantastic athlete, but he's, it it just feels like his body's starting to break down. He's the highest paid player on the Kansas city chiefs roster. That's He's the third highest paid outside linebacker in the NFL right now. Yeah. So whether they cut or trade him, if you trade him, you're saving $14 million against the cap. And this is a team that doesn't have a whole lot of cap space and they have moves that they have to make. So whether it's Eric Berry, 
who could be cut. Justin Houston could be traded. I actually am in favor. Of course, I'm in favor. I would trade. I would trade anyone on that team except for Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes. I think so. Connor and I are on the <laughs> trade block. We just don't even know it yet. That's like how open you are with trades. Yeah, I'm going to trade the two of you for Jason Witten now that he's a, a, a broadcasting free agent. Um, but man, I, I would. I would be open to this. And I think Veach and, and his scouts have shown that they're pretty good at drafting and they're very good at winning on trades. You know, I, I think you look at the Alex Smith trade, they won on that. Look at even the Marcus Peters trade, getting a two for Marcus Peters. That's a very good return on investment. So if Justin Houston is shopped, man, the first team I would call would be the Dallas Cowboys because they are going to have a need with Randy Gregory being suspended. They are going to need production. Now, obviously, it would have to be a deal where Houston restructured his contract, but I do think that that's that's the right spot for him, somewhere where he feels like he can go win. And if you're the Chiefs, you get him out of the division. So I understand at his current cap hit of like $21 million, he's not going to Dallas, but... If he could restructure, Dallas would be a great fit. Well, and Jerry Jones, you know he loves those veterans. He just brought back Jason Witten. So I think they could be open to those discussions. Yeah, they absolutely can be. And I, again, I love Justin Houston. He's a play, one of the first dudes that I ever scouted that I had a I had a round one grade on him, but then he failed the drug test at the Combine. And so back, you know, whenever, what was that, 2008 when he came out? Like, I didn't really know how to handle that because, you know, the, you're, it's like my or 2011, sorry. So it's like one of my first years in this job. And it was just, what do we do with this guy? And he fell to the third round and immediately became a stud in Kansas city. So it'd be bittersweet to see him go. But I mean, we've seen Jamal Charles and Derek Johnson leave Eric Berry and Justin Houston are, are just next in this line of, of movement that they've had. The chiefs are not the only team talking trade. The New York jets, Mike McCagnan with probably like the most like duh comment ever is like, yeah, we would trade out of the number three pick if somebody wants to come up which we have talked about again on the show for months that the Jets should be a team that would look to sell in this year's draft and move out of that spot. You know, especially if the way, if we had to mock draft right now, I know you put one out today, Kyler Murray going first overall, and then Bosa would probably go second to the 49ers. Then teams are going to be trying to get up for a quarterback and they would be the ideal spot for it. And I don't know if the Jets have ever like figured out their draft position and then been like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, we got the third pick. They're just like, <laughs> shit, we got the third pick, we got to move back. That's not our happy place. Sam Darnold's not there for us to draft this year at three. We got to move back. So I, I think they are definitely listening. I think you should always listen to offers for trade picks and see what you can get back for it. And especially if you can recoup the picks that you gave up last year to go get Darnold. Like how, like the Jets haven't had a lot of good luck. How great would that be if you can now move back? You know, last year they moved from six to three. If you could now move back, imagine the giant, you're probably not going to help the Giants. So imagine the Jags call and say, hey, we want to come up to three. You guys bump back to seven. You get extra picks and you can still draft someone like Cleveland Farrell and get a very good edge rusher at seven. Hell, you might be able to get Rashawn Gary at seven, depending on what happens with the quarterbacks early in this round. So I think it's only smart for the Jets to be a team that, is all in. Now, my team, the Niners, we've also talked a lot about them being a trade-back team. I would just like to say, you cannot trade out of the number two pick in this draft until you know that Nick Bosa is gone. Oh, exactly. But you might, you might want to have some shit done, like beforehand, have some trades in place, but if there's even an inkling of a chance that Nick Bosa is there at two, you cannot move out of that spot. So that's where we talk about the dominoes of the draft. That's it, man. What the Cardinals do at one, 
this year is so important to the rest of these teams draft strategy because if the Cardinals take Bosa as a Niners fan, hell, I'm probably getting out of there. And as Jets, you're probably getting out of there too. And then the Raiders can kind of sit and see who's there. But man, it's all, and I know this sounds stupid because they have the first pick, but it really is all hinging on what the Cardinals do at one. Yeah, and I mean, look at a couple of those other teams back there with the Broncos sitting at 10. I still think that they go quarterback. And the Redskins at 15, if they want to trade up with the Jets or the 49ers, those teams are going to get some pretty good picks back to jump that far. Maybe even another first-round pick if if teams really love these quarterbacks and want to move up for them. Yeah, it. I'm, I'm very – the next two months are going to be fun. I remember last year we were in Nashville, and I woke up incredibly hungover and rolled over and – my phone was like just completely gone with text because the jets had traded up. And so like, I hope it doesn't happen while we're in Nashville this year, but I can't wait for the trade season to get here and shake things up. Uh, let's talk a little bit of weigh in mellow before we move on to the next segment. Kyler Murray weighs in. He's over five ten. He's over 200 pounds. Everybody's happy. The dude probably won the fucking combine without even stepping on the turf. Yeah. And we talked about it on Instagram too. Like he did the Deion Sanders. He showed up, he did exactly what everyone wanted to see. Then he bounced. He showed up. He measured. He weighed in. And he's gone. He's not going to do anything else. And he shouldn't. That's, I think that's the best thing for him. I know people were killing him on Twitter. Like, why wouldn't you come throw with the combine? Well, because he was probably going to be a baseball player about a month ago. And now right. he's going to go with football. He hasn't been working out for football. He's been eating every taco he can get his hands on. And now he's 207. And that's what teams wanted to see. Man, now I want tacos. Thanks, Mello. Appreciate that. <laughs> I'm sure you can yeah. find a delicious Taco Bell near you in Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah, I definitely can. I, I don't, I, I am with you. I don't care that he's not throwing. Sam Darnold didn't throw last year and went third overall. I, I don't think it matters. Jonah Williams, the guy we talked a lot about on the show. We believe he's a tackle. He comes in with 33 and I believe uh, five eighths inch arm length. That's good enough for me, dude. I, I think anything over 33 when you have excellent footwork it, is good. Jonah Williams tape to me is offensive tackle material, but we've seen it before. These teams can overthink things. He could still get moved to guard. I saw someone tweet. I think it was Todd McShay that now the threshold for tackles is 34 and a half, which I don't know where that number came from, but if the threshold is now 34 and a half, then like no one can play offensive tackle. Basically, that, Yeah. Those are incredibly long arms. And I saw your boy, Joe Staley even tweeted out something about his 33 inch long arm. So you can play tackle in the NFL with 33-inch long arms. And I don't think the one-and-a-half-inch difference in arm length there is going to make you or break you at the tackle position. And Joe Staley is my comparison for Jonah Williams, so I'm very glad he did that. I was tweeting with Jim Nagy, our buddy who runs the Senior Bowl, about it too, of like, no, he's not Joe Thomas, but no one is. But he might be Joe Staley. I mean, he really might be that athletic. Joe Staley had told me before he plays at like 295. Right. So the fact that Jonah Williams is 302 or whatever, I don't care about. Yeah, and I don't think he'll stay at that weight. I think he is actually a little bit leaner. But whoever drafts him, you can take a couple of years and put a little weight on him and get him up to a real playing weight of 310, 315. He's going to excel. I, d- I still don't understand why we're talking about him as a guard or a center. I think he's the best tackle prospect we've seen in a, a good couple of years. Yeah. All right, let's talk about DK Metcalf because – he is genetically engineered. I, I don't know any other word for it. The guy's either has the, he either won the DNA Olympics or like is just a freak. It's yeah. alleged, alleged now that his body fat percent was 1.6. I want to say two things. One, I actually don't think that's possible. And two, I don't think it's healthy. 
Yeah, I think that in some weird way actually works against him because you do want to see that flexibility. And, and when you're that cut up, like, congratulations, it looks good. It's not very functional. You can't move around very well, or at least that's my opinion. I don't know. I've never been that ripped before. <laughs> but I'm guessing, like, the dude struggles to wipe his own ass with that kind of flexibility. So he's got to do something. I, the 1.6 has to be a typo, has to be reported wrong. That's just that's too low. I wonder, I like we talk about combine drills we'd like to see. I want to see him try to put his seatbelt on. <laughs> like, can he reach behind himself and put his seatbelt on? And because honestly, like we've said before, when the photos first came out of how ripped he was, like, can you adjust to find the ball when you're that big? I, I actually don't know if he can. So hopefully we see him do the drills here because I, I want to see the flexibility from him, the functionality and those, those workouts will be going on Saturday. So that's going to be, um, you'll get here, mellow, fall asleep, wake up, watch some workouts. That's a, it's a pretty good weekend. I mean, it's not bad. It's not a bad not way bad. to live your life. I do want to shout out before we take a break and go to our next segment. We live in a, a down in Joppa, Missouri, and just across the state line where Mello went to college, Pittsburgh, Kansas, a, a kid who came out of there, Alex Barnes, he went to K-State, left school as a junior, so he's in this draft class. He repped out 34 on the bench today, which is the best for a running back since 2006. So just wanted to, to show some love to a local kid who's incredibly strong. Yeah, I, I love him. I know that... Uh, he is a local prospect. I, I wish that he would have went to Pitt State. I understand why you wouldn't go to Pitt State over Kansas State, but uh, I know his agent. Maybe we can get him on the show sometime. Yeah, for, for a, a local show, we get get him back home, and we'll uh, we'll treat him to some Club Six Hundred Nine and get him on the show. Exactly. All right, Mello, we are back, and it's top five time. I'm excited about the top five today. It's the top five worst draft trades or worst trades in NFL history. There's some bad ones on this list, and I just want to go back to something you said in the first segment. If I traded you and Connor, that would definitely make this list. Oh, hell yeah. I would definitely be up there with all these guys. I know I'm looking at Blaine Gabbard on my big board, so <laughs> I think we rack up there nicely with him. Uh, this, yeah. this top five we have going to, uh, we try to stay topical with them uh, throughout the year and what's going on. I saw a lot of people mentioning to us, they wanted to see us do top five combine performances, which is a great idea. It's so good that we did it last year. Uh, so if you want to hear our top five combine performances, I think Dead Dan might have even been in on that one. He was. Yeah, because I remember he kept messing up and I was getting really frustrated with him. Like, <laughs> so because I like to do this show in one take and I'll admit like we messed up a little tonight because the phone situation, but generally stick to football's done in one long take. So, oh, yeah, my my patience is short when it comes to things like that or exactly. all things, really just all things. All right, Mello, you want to flip that quarter? Yeah, let's get into and it. I'm not going to cheat. You have your tails never fails. And it's what do you got like five in a row now? I believe so. Yeah. Well, tonight it's heads, so I'm going oh, first. Sure. Uh, first time, long time here. Let's get this thing kicked off. I'm going to go with the RG3 trade uh, that gave the Redskins the number two pick in the 2012 draft. They gave up a number one pick in 2012, the number six overall, a number two pick in 2012, and also a 2013 first round pick and a 2014 first-round pick. If you're keeping track at home, that's Jesus. three first-round picks to move up four spots. From six to two, you gave up three of your first-round picks. And what'd you get in return? 
RG3, who is a very good rookie quarterback, but you didn't get much return after that. And that 2014 first round pick that the Redskins gave up ended up being the number two overall pick. They got a lot of talent off that one trade, uh, and it really set the Redskins back there for a while and helped the Rams really build that defense that they have now. Michael Brockers, uh, they had Janoris Jenkins there for a little while, Greg Roberts, Robinson, all came from that one trade that they did. Yeah, and unfortunately, Greg Robinson didn't work out, but neither did RG3. And this is one of those deals we always talk about with trades. Like, if you hit on the quarterback, then it's it's good. Like, it's worth it. If you don't, it will set your team back a decade. And the Redskins still yep. don't have a quarterback. So, yeah. like, they they still suck at quarterback. So, uh, that is a great one, Mello. Mine, I'm going to go way back to the year that I was born, 1983. John Elway, doing a little early Kyler Murray, said... I am not going to play for the Baltimore Colts. Yeah, they were the Baltimore Colts back then. He said, I'll go fucking play baseball. I'll go play for the Yankees, which I respect. Instead, the Colts draft him thinking, oh, we'll call his bluff. Nope, he wasn't messing around. So they had to trade him to the Denver Broncos. And here's who they got in return. These these names, these Hall of Fame names that the Colts got in return. Chris Hinton, Mark Herman, and a 1984 first-round pick. So... Not a whole lot in return for John Elway, who, in my opinion, is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Yeah, so especially what, if you just, just talk about terrible traits. trade. Yeah, traits alone, you've got to put him up there like top three. I, I don't know. But you, and you talk about how if you miss on a quarterback, it can set your team back. They had to move the whole fucking franchise, move it to Indianapolis because they missed out on John Elway. It just wasn't working at all for him. So they had to get the hell out of there. Yeah, and I should say the first round pick was Ron Salt, who did make a Pro Bowl in his career. So, you know, they they redeemed themselves a little bit by drafting an offensive guard uh, who made one Pro Bowl. But to me, that is one of the worst, most lopsided trades in NFL history when you trade someone who, I mean, I, I think you could say it's like Brady, Montana, Elway, probably for me on the, the all-time greats list. So you trade a top three quarterback and it was, you know, they they were going through an ownership thing. They they eventually moved to Indianapolis, so just didn't work out. How crazy would it have been, though, if the Colts could have gone from John Elway to Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck? Yeah. Oh, God, that's like, yeah, three of the best. Um, yeah. All right, I'm up next here, number two overall. We got to mention this guy because I think fans would be disappointed if we didn't. Uh, the return on investment for Ricky Williams was absolutely insane. Uh, in 1999, the Redskins were sitting at pick number five overall, and Mike Ditka wanted to get his running back, and he was willing to do anything to do that. He got his crazy ass to give up their entire draft plus an additional first-round pick in the next year. They gave up their first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh pick in one draft, and then an additional first-round pick to acquire Ricky Williams, who I absolutely love. Uh, great running back. It just never really worked out with them in New Orleans with the team. They didn't have any picks to build around a running back with. And the guy that the Redskins took with that pick, LeVar Arrington from that 2000 first round pick, who is one of my favorite linebacker prospects <laughs> I've ever watched. Watching him jump over the line and make tackles for Penn State was absolutely incredible. And then Ricky Williams, some of his best days came as a Dolphin. Yeah, and Ricky, I think, was before his time. Like, if, if he played in the NFL now where we have 
the players can get all this help. And honestly, Ricky would say this if he were sitting here with us. He liked smoking weed and it affected his ability. He took a year off of football to like go live in a holistic tent where he could smoke. And it it really affected him. But he did have that one 1,800-yard year for the Dolphins where you saw some of the potential. But yeah, terrible trade. And that, that trade still gets brought up of like, would you trade your whole draft class for X player? And like that is proof that the answer should almost always be no, especially if you're trading it for a draft prospect. One of the worst trades I've ever seen, and I'm so, so happy that this happened. Steve Young went from the USFL to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. People, I, I think folks, if you're younger listening to this and you didn't grow up in the days of being able to watch NFL films every day after school like we did, forget that he was a member of the Buccaneers. They got him. And just didn't didn't work out. So they trade him to the 49ers. He becomes one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history and goes on to take the 49ers to a Super Bowl while also playing in a supporting role while Joe Montana was hurt. He was 26 years old when they traded him. And like they thought that he was like a safety prospect or a fullback. They traded him for a second and a fourth round pick. That's a Hall of Famer, one of your favorite quarterbacks of all right. time. And they did it because they thought they had Vinny Testaverde. They were going to draft Vinny Testaverde, so they traded Steve Young. How fucking dumb can you get? <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I love Steve Young, too. And the fact that he was sitting behind Joe Montana for a couple of years. I mean, they literally had two of the best quarterbacks in the league at that time on the same roster. Yeah, so I'm very happy that that happened. Uh, Steve Young, Hall of Famer. And it, yeah, you're right. One of my, probably my second or third favorite player all time. Oh, easily for you. That's a good top five we should do. Our favorite players? Yeah. Yeah, Mine would be like all people that no one knows. Like, you know, like Herman Moore, Greg Lloyd. Like People are going to be like, who the fuck are these guys? Because I liked all weird players and not like these popular Hall of Famers. Like, I liked Jerry Rice because he's probably the greatest receiver ever. Other than that, mine are just weird well, I put that on the list uh, to do a top <laughs> I'm gonna five. Have to Maybe think of something. Yeah, let me let me add uh, college football players in there too, and I can get a good good list going for you. There we go. We All right, college. Do favorite players of the two thousands? Yeah, you could do it. Yeah, we'll we'll make that happen definitely. I'm up again, and I have to mention the Ryan Leaf trade. Now, I wasn't old enough to be really involved with Ryan Leaf and everything that went down. I didn't scout him. And I'm not going to hate on them for that pick. A lot of people, even the Colts, thought Ryan Leaf was going to be a very good quarterback. It was him or Peyton Manning, obviously. Everybody knows that story. One of them went on to be great. The other one is Ryan Leaf. I won't hate on them for trading up for him, but the Cardinals and what they got back in return for the Ryan Leaf trade is ridiculous. They got the 1998 first-round pick, number three overall, and they took a guy named Andre Wadsworth, who I loved, he might be one of my top five favorite players, who was a very solid defensive end for a very long time. They got a 1998 second-round pick back. Corey Chavis, who I also loved and who is also a huge fan of the draft. They got both of those guys. And then they also get a 1999 first-rounder. This is where the Cardinals get David Boston, the huge receiver that everybody is comparing to DK Metcalf. And, oh, yeah, by the way, they also got Eric Metcalf, I believe is DK's uncle somehow. So you get all of this return for Ryan Leaf in the number two pick that set your franchise back a pretty long time. 
my God. I didn't realize, I think at the time, because that was, I mean, I was pretty young still. I don't think I realized all that went into that trade. Like That's a ridiculous amount to trade for Ryan Leaf. And it, it's, it's kind of crazy that the Cardinals have only had like those couple good years with Kurt Warner with like yeah. here, all that talent. Uh, I'm up next and I have to go with probably the most iconic draft day trade and before Ricky Williams was the Herschel Walker trade. This is yeah. used as an example all the time of a team being able to completely rebuild thanks to a trade. Herschel Walker, who was one of the greatest college football players of all time. He just rushed for 1500 yards for the Cowboys, but Jimmy Johnson comes in and he goes, Jimmy Johnson pulls a Matt Miller and goes, you know what? I'll trade my, my best player. Blowing I don't up. fucking care. Right. Blows it up. So they trade Herschel Walker to the Minnesota Vikings and they get five players and eight draft picks. I mean, it's crazy. One of those draft picks, Emmett Smith, one of the others, Darren Woodson. I mean, it was a crazy amount that they were able to get in exchange for Herschel Walker. And he did. I mean, Herschel Walker then flamed out in mm -hmm. Minnesota. He never became what he was for that, you know, brief trade, brief moment, excuse me, uh, in Dallas. But I I'm I know it's like not always great when we just read things on the podcast, but listen to what Dallas got. Linebacker Jesse Solomon, linebacker David Howard, corner Isaac, uh, Isaac Holt, running back Darren Nelson, defensive end Alex Stewart, so five players. Minnesota's first round pick in 1990. Minnesota's second round pick in 1990. Minnesota's sixth round pick in 1990. Jesus. And then they got Minnesota's first and second in 1991. And... Minnesota's first, second, and third in 1992. I had like, no the, idea they gave up so much. I knew that they, right. like, talk about it. I've never actually read and seen all of the picks and all of the players that went into that trade. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And there were, like, conditional things that made it to where, you know, they would actually, they like, the Cowboys would have to cut guys in order for it to, you know, come through where, like, they would get that first-round pick if they cut you know, um, Isaiah Colt and they, they yeah. did. So, of and course. then the chargers got involved a little bit and actually got Darren Nelson, the running back out of the deal. Um, and it gave the Vikings like a fifth round pick. So it is one of those, there should be a 30 for 30 about this. If there isn't, because just what they were able to get the Cowboys. I mean, they got Russell, Maryland, uh, Alonzo Highsmith, I believe when, uh, no, he was Minnesota. numerous. Sorry. He was Minnesota pro yeah. bowlers though. Right. Kevin Smith, Darren Woodson, Emmett Smith. Like, the all-time leading rusher in the NFL. Even if you had just traded Herschel Walker for Emmett Smith, it would have been a good trade. Yeah, it still would have made our list. We probably should have had it higher. <laughs> I, I really had no idea they gave up so much for it. It was just so long ago. And I actually believe that like, even with the Ryan Leaf trade and the, the others that I've mentioned, because there wasn't the internet, like you didn't have an easy way to just like, oh, what did we trade for Herschel Walker? And like track it. Oh, yeah, no, it, was, it was hard to do. I'm sure the Vikings fans at the time were just pumped about it, like getting a Heisman Trophy winning running back who was in Dallas. Like They would have been ecstatic about it, but no. Probably like when been. the Colts when the Colts traded for Trent Richardson. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, uh, so I'm getting pretty far down my list. You've definitely taken some of mine. Uh, I'm going to go with a more recent one. The Oakland Raiders at one point had a guy by the name of Randy Moss. And they traded Randy Moss in 2007 for a fourth-round pick. Randy Moss went on Jeez. to have 98 catches that year, 1,400 yards, and 23 touchdowns. And they gave him up for a fourth 
rounder. People thought he was done for, going to retire after the Oakland days. And then he goes and pairs up with a little guy named Tom Brady, and they set the league on fire, almost go undefeated. And I think the whole thing that set him off that year, I know it's Tom Brady, I know Belichick, but you got Randy Moss for a fourth rounder. You gave up nothing to get him. Yeah, that's just not fair. I, It's hard to believe that. And I know like in Oakland, they were saying, oh, he's dogging it. He's not playing hard. But Jesus Christ, it's Randy Moss. He's the second best receiver in NFL history. And allowed for, like you said, a record-breaking year with the Patriots. Um, that was actually going to be on my list. But uh, damn, you messed me up. So I'm going to go to one that happened back in 1993, I believe it was, when, uh, sorry, 1992, when the Atlanta Falcons had a backup quarterback and head coach Jerry Glanville did not like him, (sighs) didn't like the guy, wasn't going to play him, wasn't going to keep him. The quarterback gets on the field and his first pass ever in an NFL game is intercepted and returned for a touchdown. So he throws four passes the whole fucking rookie year, gets picked off twice, doesn't complete one of them. Jerry Glanville's just livid. So get this guy off my team. So they trade him to the Green Bay Packers for a first-round pick. So they draft a guy in the second. He sucks. They trade him for a first. It never happens, right? The only problem is that guy was Brett Favre. Yeah. And so they traded Brett Favre for a first-round pick, and the Falcons drafted Tony Smith, I, I'm sure everyone knows who that is. Tony Smith, the running back, absolutely horrible, horrible trade. And it sparked a 16-year run of Brett Favre being just the man in Green Bay. Three MVP awards, two Super Bowls, one of the all-time greats. And yeah, he still threw a couple picks in Green Bay, but uh, he also like set the NFL record for most starts in a row and is one of my favorite players now. I, I didn't appreciate him enough in the moment, but... Now, looking back on it, like, I am a Brett Favre fan. I am, too. Like, I didn't really like him that much either, even though I feel like our game was very similar. I love the fact that I think they did a 30 for 30, and he's talking about how he didn't even know what the nickel defense was. Like, he's an NFL quarterback, and he has, has to ask, what, what is nickel? What does that mean when they say they're in nickel? He had no idea. I love Brett Favre. Um, I'm going to go on here. I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel here. The Jacksonville Jaguars, though, traded up in the 2011 draft to get their quarterback of the future, and this is where they took Blaine Gabbert. They swapped first with the Redskins and give up a second. Well, the Redskins got Ryan Kerrigan, who has been a very good edge rusher for the Redskins for a very long time, and the Jaguars get Blaine Gabbert. And the reason I want to use this trade is because we see it every single year. Somebody is going to trade up for a quarterback, that is just not very good. You might as well wait. Tank for a year. Do not reach and go create a first round quarterback just because he's six foot five, 225, and has a pretty strong arm. You can't do it. If the quarterback's not there, just wait it out. Yep. That I mean, you can point to that trade. You can point to fuck. You can point to Blake Bortles. You can point to EJ Manuel. They're RG3. There's so many examples of people creating this the need at quarterback and so that oh well, we got to go get this player because he's so good I'm going to call my shot on my last one Mello and it's it's probably too early to call this one of the worst trades in NFL history but I'm, I'm feeling a little dangerous today so I'm going to do it please Khalil don't ever Mack. say that again <laughs> I did my little shoulder dance when I said it too so just strangle me um, not dangerous enough to run away from a Fayetteville cop uh, Khalil Mack 
to the Chicago Bears is oh, one of the worst yeah. trades yeah. in NFL history. And I know it's too early. We don't know what the Raiders are going to do with these picks. I'm just going to go ahead and call it. They're not going to do enough to replace Khalil Mack. Uh, they, the Bears get Khalil Mack. The, here's the crazy thing about this fucking trade. The Bears got Khalil Mack. They also got a 2020 second round pick. Like, why? Yeah, I mean, and, that's kind of forgotten about. Right, the, and, and the Raiders did get a 2019 first-rounder. That that ended up being number 24 this year. We'll see what they do with it. A 2020 first-rounder, which you would expect the Bears are going to be good again next year. It'll probably be in the 20s. A 2020 third and a, a 2019 sixth. So the fact that the Bears got back that second-round pick is just unbelievable to me. And, by the way, Khalil Mack is... If not the best edge rusher in the NFL, he's tied with Von Miller for that title. Oh, yeah. And he sparked this Bears defense that was just fantastic this year. I, I thought the Bears had a chance to make it to the Super Bowl. I really did. The playoff loss sucked for them. It, it was heartbreaking. They've already cut Cody Parkey. Like, <laughs> I, I think next year the Bears have to be considered one of the favorites to make a run. Oh, I would say so, too. And, I mean, what the Raiders are doing there, they still need an edge rusher. And you it's gave all up they've talked about one this of week. the best one. And they made that deal with the Bears thinking like, OK, this is probably going to be a top 10 pick. No, sir. It is pick number 24 overall. You will never find an edge rusher like Khalil Mack at pick number 24 overall. Yeah, it's it's wild, man. So those are our worst trades. Y'all hit us up in the iTunes reviews or hit us up on Twitter at Stick to Football. Let us know the trade that just wrecked your fan base, because I mean, as a Niners fan, I could go all day about dumb trades we've made. Mello, it is draft season, buddy. We got two months until the draft. And when we have time, we want to flex our muscles a little bit, show off our scouting chops. So we're going to get into prospects of the week, a little prospect preview. I'm going to run it up first with a running back prospect as we're doing our NFL Draft 400 series, uh, which will run on Bleach Report, 400 scouting reports, player comps, grades, the whole damn deal. I want to talk about Elijah Holyfield, the player that the more I watch, the more I like his game. And showing out, I mean, very great build. And that's like when I scout a player, the first thing I notice is what is their build like? And for him, he has an excellent build with thick thighs. He's got a trim waist. And one of my favorite parts of his game is that he will just put his head down and try to run through you. There's some Kareem Hunt to his game of being a a shorter compact back who has excellent power. And he will look to get low and run you over. He measured in. 5'10", 217 pounds. He repped out 26 on the bench. So you see some strength there. And oh, by the way, he's a Vander Holyfield son, which is pretty damn cool. So you know he can hit. You know he can hit. And unfortunately at Georgia, he's had to play behind guys like Todd Gurley, Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift. So he hasn't had a ton of carries, but... That's also a positive because there's almost no wear and tear on his on his frame. So he's patient, good vision. Um, I'm just reading my notes here. A fall forward kind of back, not a burner. Um, he can let the ball get away from his frame a little bit, but you know didn't really have a lot of fumbles. There's not a lot of shake to his game, but he runs with power and acceleration. Um, against Alabama and Texas, he showed man he can push the pile. He picks his spots, almost never loses yards. And I think there's a lot of upside to his game. Right now, he's my number five running back in this class. I think he could be a late second pick and could be a really, really nice piece somewhere where maybe you have a scat back and you want to add him into the mix. So I've seen comparisons to Kareem Hunt, Mark Ingram, Marlon Mack in terms of athleticism, but he's quickly becoming one of my favorite sleepers in this class. 
Yeah, I, I like him a lot, too, as well. I, you talk about him being a Vandy Holyfield son. That speaks to me that he knows how to be a professional, and he he knows what to do and how to take care of his body, too. And he didn't see a lot of touches at Georgia, but that's almost a good thing at running back. You even look at guys like Josh Jacobs. You don't want a lot of wear and tear on these body parts. You want guys that are a little bit fresh, but have so, shown you flashes of what they can do with the ball. I'm going to go totally opposite position. I'm, I've been doing a lot of work with the receivers, and I want to highlight Andy Isabella. I know that he came into the Senior Bowl. We were talking a lot about him. He didn't have a great week. Uh, I know a lot of people were down on him, but I think he's going to come away as one of the best slot-type receivers out of this class. And the more I watch him, the more I fall in love with his speed. He is going to be one of the fastest players at the combine, and I don't even care whatever skin color he has, the dude is fast and he can move. So everybody's talking about him as, oh, this is the next Julian Edelman. This is what he's going to be. He's going to be a Patriot. (laughs) It's not that at all. That's not what I see out of his game. He wins vertically so well. You can't get a jam on him. I know he's smaller, weighed in at 188 today and just a a hair over 5'8". You can't get your hands on him because he's incredibly quick, but he also has the long speed to go with it. I comped him to Brandon Cooks, another Patriot receiver, uh, just of different complexion. The ability for them to play with speed here in the vertical game is what sets him apart from guys like Julian Edelman. He's not just an underneath threat all the time or an intermediate guy. He can really beat you vertically as well. I remember watching uh, him this year early and telling you guys about him. I was like, I, I love this kid. And then when you see how fast he is and explosive he is, I don't care that his he's not going to meet the thresholds for you. I mean, his arms are under 30. His hands are under nine. I don't care. And I know there were some people at the senior bowl of like, ah, oh, he can't get off a press, but you're never going to line him up on the outside on the line of scrimmage. Why would you do that? Right. Yeah. Like, that's not his game. Get, like you said with Brandon Cooks, get him in motion. Get him at, yep. lined up in the slot. And I again, I'm going to shout out Jim Nagy here. He compared him to T.Y. Hilton. It was like, we have to stop just comparing these short white receivers to other short white receivers because he's probably going to run in the four threes, low four threes. That type of speed is not, I mean, it's not Wes Welker. It's not Danny Amendola. It's not Julian Edelman. Those guys are not this fast. It's lazy scouting. I I mean, I was guilty of it too. Like you see him show up at the combine or not the combine, the senior bowl. You're like, okay, there's another Patriots receiver. Well, he is just not the one that everybody thinks like this guy can really burn it up the field. And I love what he can do. I also love that some of his best games, like the Georgia game, that is a very good secondary. And he really balled out that game and was not slowed down by guys like DeAndre Baker, who I'm sure some people have him as corner one in this whole draft class. Andy Isabella handled himself very well that day. I would love to see Isabella go somewhere where they know how to use him like Philly, Kansas City, San Francisco, New England is the obvious one, like the Rams. You know who the best comp for him might be is Marquise Goodwin, who's with the Niners. Yeah, that's another good guy. And they have that great speed. Both of them do. Yeah, and not not very big. God, I actually just pulled up Marquise Goodwin, my notes on him. He was 5'9", a buck 83. I mean, it's they're very, very similar. So I love when we're just talking about ball and something clicks and you're like, oh, yeah. And then, yep. It's like we weren't planning for this to be a thing, but it is a thing. So it, I didn't uh, I didn't know his numbers against Georgia, so I just went and looked them up. We talk about how great he was and how he did the everything that day. 
he had 15 catches for 219 yards and two touchdowns. I don't know if I'm reading this wrong, but that's against Georgia. He dominated them. <laughs> that's one of the best SEC defenses in the whole country. And he killed it that day against a very good secondary and not great quarterback play. Mello, we might be separated by seven hours of drive time, but nothing can keep us apart when it's draft on draft time, buddy. So I'm going to, I'm going to open this unnamed beer for you and uh, drink it in your honor. Yeah, mine it has a stick to football koozie on it, so I guess I don't I don't know what beer I'm drinking tonight either. But I'm definitely going to throw some down. We should start home brewing and name it like the stick to football beer. <laughs> I don't know. I, I No. <laughs> I don't know if I could make a beer uh, <laughs> I, and we have such different tastes. I, I I don't know if we could pull it off, buddy. We just try to make like a light beer. Oh man, my little hotel mini fridge is not as cold as I like my beer to be. I'll tell you that. So I saw this thing on YouTube the other day where these two guys were pouring different items into a like Brita water filter and they poured a beer in there and it like it lost all coloration and it came out and they said it was like the super light beer, like the lightest beer you could have. I kind of want to try it because I think I would like it. You probably would. Yeah, like, let me just filter my beer. That will be down. my homebrew. I'll get, like, a Bud Heavy, and I will filter it through a Brita and then drink that. It would be a Bud Light. Yeah, that's all it is. It's a super right, Bud Light. Super Bud Light, yeah, and then start selling it. Um, all right, let's get into these questions, man. Andrew McDonald, draft on draft question. With the Raiders having an obvious need at D-end and linebacker, which combination would you rather have at 4 and 24? Rashawn Gary and Devin Bush or Devin White and Jalen Ferguson. And for me, I really love Devin Bush and uh, Devin White as well. But so now I'm comparing Rashawn Gary and Jalen Ferguson. And for me, uh, I think they are worlds apart. I love uh, Devin White would probably be linebacker one, Devin Bush two, but there's not a whole lot of gap there. They're both very good linebacker prospects. You look at Rashawn Gary, you look at Jalen Ferguson, I do think that they are worlds apart, different tiers. So I'm going to go with that first combination and see what they can do. Uh, I know you like Rashawn Gary up there that high. I don't know that anybody has has really mocked or, or thinking that Devin White goes that high at number four. No, and I have Devin White at number six overall, so I'm a really big fan of his game. Um, I, I think this is an easy answer for me. I would rather have Rashawn Gary and Devin Bush. And and what's like you said, Melo, you're you're kind of splitting the hairs between the edge rushers. It's funny because Rashawn Gary is all traits, no production, and Jalen Ferguson is like all production, no yeah. traits. It's so crazy it's the contrast numbers. there. Right. The contrast there is pretty wild. So um I, I think that is a, a really good like thought exercise though of like this, hey, this is how we stack our draft. That's something I know we'll be talking about a lot over the next few months is you know, if, if you're a Raiders fan, you've got four, 24, 27, and then you come back around and I think 35, you think about stacking the draft. Okay. If we, where is the draft deep so that maybe we could wait on that position? No, cause they need corner help. They need safety help. Uh, so, you know, do you try to get Taylor Rapp at 24 and then get O'Shane Zimenez at 35 or, or something like that to get the most talent uh, out of those positions of need? I mean, they were uh, definitely going to hit on this draft class with how many picks they have. Like somebody has to hit out of those top five picks they have. I mean, you would think <laughs> you would, you'd think, but I don't know. I watched the Browns screw it up year after year, so I don't know. Do you remember that year the Vikings had like three first round picks, and one of them was Cordero Patterson? 
Yeah. So well, I don't know. Good so, good luck to the Raiders fans. I know we hated on them a lot after a lot of their trades. Maybe they will finally figure it out this off offseason. Okay, wait. I, f- I found it. Here it is. 2013. They they got Sharif Floyd, Xavier Rose, and Cordero Patterson. So Floyd eventually got hurt. Didn't really hit. Xavier Rhodes is really good though. So even with that, they hit. So yep. That's just my mind going down a hole. Uh, all right, next <laughs> question. John F. Babo. If you could take five players in this class to start a team and the rest of the team would be filled out with league average players, who would you pick and how good of a team would they be now and in five years? Gosh. Um, so for me, I would look at it. What are the five most valuable positions? Exactly. Uh, so for me, it would be quarterback, receiver, left tackle on offense. I think you need all five three of those to be successful in the NFL. And then on defense, you got to have an edge rusher and a shutdown corner. I think if you can have those five positions, you would be pretty set. I I agree. I'm sketching mine out. So I would actually go quarterback, edge, corner, linebacker, left tackle. I just want a good yeah. linebacker in there. Because yeah, that's I, that's our difference. You would go linebacker there too. I don't, and for, the thing with the – Go ahead. I don't know about the corner. Like, there's not great corners in this draft. That makes it hard. So, uh, here's what I have just with 30 seconds of thought. Kyler Murray, Nick Bosa, Greedy Williams, Devin White, and Jonah Williams. Yeah, I, I think those are definitely top guys. And I had a lot of them, too. Uh, I went Kyler at quarterback, Jonah Williams at left tackle, Bosa at edge. Uh, where we're different is I would take DeAndre Baker probably right now. If you made me take a corner, I think he'll probably be the top guy. I'm kind of splitting between Byron Murphy and Greedy Williams. I need to really sit down and watch these corners and figure out where they stack up for me. And then at receiver, I'm going with A.J. Brown. I I really like what I've seen out of him so far. I know everybody probably expected uh, the Nikhil Harry love, but I'm really coming around on A.J. Brown and what I've seen out of him so far. You know why we're both stupid? Why? Because we could take... Quentin Williams at defensive line and Nick Bosa at edge, and we didn't do it. So yeah. I'm going to change Fuck mine. the corner. We yeah. kill the quarterback every time. Right. I Honestly, I would rather have Quentin Williams than Greedy. So that would be mine. Yeah, I would agree with you. It's so hard for me to not take Josh Jacobs or TJ Hawkinson, but those are just not impact positions. I love TJ Hawkinson. I don't know how much you've seen like my tweets or my rankings or anything since uh-huh. you've been teaching, but... Like the man crush there is real. So he's probably moved up to tight end one for you then, right? Yeah, I have him in the top 10 overall now. Yeah, I really like this tight end class. There are four or five guys that I think can really contribute year one and throughout the future. I know Dawson Knox is a guy you've talked about, Isaac Nada, Caden Smith. Those are all kind of not later round guys, but like mid round guys that you can find in the second or the third. And and they're going to play for a very long time in the NFL. Yeah, it is a very good tight end class, which is why it's weird that Jason Winton went back to the Cowboys. But I digress. Jake Thrift 12, question mark. Jake Thrift 12? Big fan of the podcast. Just asking if you guys think the Jags would prefer to sign Foles or trade up for the quarterback of their choice. I honestly think they just want Nick Foles. I think they've missed on drafting. Uh, They missed on Blaine Gabbert. They missed on Blake Bortles. I feel like they just want to win, and so they're going to try to get a veteran. Yeah, I totally agree, too. I think that this is a team that's still in a win-now mentality. They're not going to blow it up yet, but I don't think they want to waste time with a rookie quarterback, especially out of this class. I think if they were sitting there at one and there was a surefire guy like a Pat Mahomes or you know somebody else like that, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, 
they would pull the trigger on that. But I don't think there is this year. Even if they put themselves in position to get Haskins, I think they are going to go the veteran quarterback route. Yeah, it, it just makes the most sense for where they're at as a team. Uh, next one up, Nico Zamidi for the Giants. Is drafting Kyler Murray at six or trading a two and four for Rosen the better option? So I'm really glad that you put here, Nico, a two and a four because I don't think Josh Rosen will get an early round one uh, grade back. So something to consider, or not grade, a round one uh, return on investment if you traded him. The important thing to remember is the Giants don't have a third because they drafted Sam Beal in the supplementary draft. So you would be, then you would have a first, you wouldn't have a second, a third, or a fourth. Now, are you happy coming out of this draft with, at, say you get Jawan Taylor at six, and then you get Josh Rosen, Sam Beal, and you don't pick again until day three. As a Giants fan, are you happy with that, knowing you have a quarterback of the future, a right tackle, and a corner who I think would have been a second-round player in this year's draft? I think that's like, you just have to look at the big picture of this. Now, personally, Mello, I would rather have that option. I would rather trade a two and a four for Josh Rosen and have my quarterback of the future who wanted to be in New York all along and to be able to get an impact player at six. You could probably trade down from six as well and still get a Jawan Taylor or a Jonah Williams, Cody Ford, someone like that. And I really liked Sam Beal. So that's, if you look at it in terms of what you actually get for those picks, I think that's a pretty good year. I would agree with you 100%. I think if you can get Rosen for that and you're really sold on, okay, this is what we can do at pick number six. We can get a guy like Jawan Taylor or maybe they roll the dice on Jonah Williams, whoever it may be. I think that sets you up to win next year because Josh Rosen has already gone through his growing pains. He spent that year getting his ass kicked with the Cardinals. So maybe if you can get him a little bit of protection, uh, sure up that offensive line, bring in a guy like Taylor, you have very scary weapons around him for him to throw to. And I think that keeps Josh Rosen motivated and bought in. And that's my biggest concern with him. I think if he stays in Arizona, this could be a situation where he flakes out in a couple of years and we say he's a draft bust. I think he just needs somebody to light a fire under his ass. And having Saquon Barkley in the backfield should light a fire under anyone's ass and motivate them to want to win right now. And throwing at Odell Beckham, like, I mean, come on. That's not a bad Just gig. get it close. And, right. And interestingly enough, the Giants have two picks in the fourth round. They have three in the fifth. In the sixth, they have one. And in the seventh, they have two. So they actually have a decent amount of ammo if that if they were motivated to send a two and a four, which I think is a pretty fair asking price. Yeah, and I think if you're the Cardinals, you would probably jump all over that too, and you would be happy with that return. Whatever you get in the second, then you walk away with Kyler Murray at one. I think both teams would be happy with that pick. Yeah, man. All right, the middleman, one, two, four. Do teams place any value in the Wonderlick score? Seems like every year there's some really good or really bad scores. It doesn't affect player stock much. So here's my deal on the Wonderlick. It only matters if it's really low or really high. And yeah, that's it. And even then, we I, our boy Vince Young <laughs> failed it. I don't even know if you can actually fail it. But I think he got single digits in the Wonderlick and was still drafted very high. It was just like, eh, Wonderlick doesn't matter. I mean, we've seen guys get a very high Wonderlick score, and they're still like, oh, okay, cool. But what's he do on the field? And I I agree with that. I and I've heard teams that will like if it's too high, like that that can be a knock for you too. Like they. They kind of want you in that like range of smart, but not too smart. 
and like I know that sounds stupid, but like this is legit things that people talk about him. You like you don't want a quarterback in the forties of the wonder. Like you want him in like the mid twenties. You know, uh, so I, I don't put a lot of stock in the wonder. Like, no. and I, I got to ask about it on radio the other day. Why did teams still use it? It's used just for historical comparison. It's so that teams can say here, you know, here's the range where, you know, you look at the Tom Brady's John Elway's like, here's where they where They were out on the wonder. Like you kind of want your players in that too. When you talk about thresholds, it's more for that range. So that's why they keep doing it. All right. Last question. Uh, from a great username here. You know, it's funny draft on draft. The original idea was that Connor and I would open a beer and we would answer questions until the beer was gone. We but would answer two that, questions. Right. Cause I drink <laughs> so fast that like, okay, we're done with draft on draft. Um, so yeah, it's been expanded for sure. Cause I went to pick up my beer and it was empty. It reminded me of that dirt shingleberry. That's a great <laughs> name. I know you said you don't read other analysts mocks, but Bucky Brooks had the Cardinals taking Quinn and Williams at one. What are the chances and what would have to happen for the first pick to not be Kyler or Bosa? I don't think this is crazy. I actually did this in a mock draft a while back, and I kind of said that it was like, um, I'm doing this just to see what would happen. Uh But I also think that it could because right now the NFL is obsessed with interior pressure and the Cardinals already have an outside guy in Chandler Jones. Now, of course, you could have two. It'd be great. But I wouldn't be completely shocked if they went with Quentin Williams and just to have that, to have that mixture of inside outside pressure that everybody wants. Yeah. And I think that if the Cardinals or Bucky Brooks thinks that Quentin Williams is the best player in this draft, that's who they should go with. Not because everybody else says, Oh, you need an edge rusher. You don't need an edge rusher. What you need is to be able to pressure the quarterback. And if Quentin Williams can do that and he can do it better than Bosa in your opinion, then that's who your guy should be. I, you just have to establish some pressure on the quarterback and force him out of the pocket. You can do that from the edge. You can do it from interior. So I don't think it's out of the question. I don't think it will happen, uh, but it, I wouldn't hate it if it did. Yeah, it's, again, back to what we said earlier in the show, man. We're waiting for those dominoes to fall, and that one at number one overall is a big one. We just we don't know what's going to happen. It's one of the – and, uh, again, last year at this time, we knew the Browns were going to draft a quarterback, but – we didn't know which one, but like right now, like we just, we don't know what's going to happen. They could go a lot of different directions. So make sure you listen to stick to football three times a week. We'll keep you informed on what's going on. Mello. That's our show. Uh, safe travels tomorrow to you and the crew. Looking forward to seeing you guys. I'm tired of eating alone. So uh, the sooner you can get here, the better. Well, you might have to eat alone tomorrow, but you won't have to drink alone tomorrow night. Cause uh, me and big country will definitely be there and we will be ready to drink. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Y'all make sure if you can come out Saturday night again, 2D Brewing Company, 5 o'clock Eastern time. It's the last time you're going to have to hear me talk about it. Because after that, we're on to Nashville, March 14th, Thursday night. We're going to be at Honey Fire Barbecue. You can sign up. Check my pinned tweet on Twitter. Check Mellow's as well. Get the details. It's free to come out. Going to have great food, lots of brews, and good time talking ball. So we will be back Monday morning with Combine Review, getting you caught up on everything that we saw and heard over the weekend. From Mello, this is Matt. We'll talk to you all soon. Thank you.